out here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm one of those makers. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. The makers of Star Trek have given us a second season of Star Trek Discovery, Ben. They want us to be very grateful. Yeah. Yeah. I felt uh, there was, I mean, we're up in uh, San Francisco for Sketchfest. Well, I'm up, you're down. <laughs> yes, I've lost a lot of money on this trip. We're, uh, we're looking at each other during. The episode, the new episode came out uh, Thursday night, the right. night after our big final Greatest Gen Con live show. And I was on, I was looking on Twitter and a lot of uh, Star Trek blogs and publications and stuff were at the red carpet that you got to go to yeah. last year for season one. Yeah. We didn't hear a peep about any red carpet this year yeah i guess uh i guess my behavior at last year's red carpet was such that <laughs> i was not invited back i don't know what i did i don't know man i mean like i don't know how they would know this but i feel like being the number one star trek discovery podcast should be worth something it's clearly not yeah there's an exchange rate here that we're unaware of yeah. and, and it basically means that we're valueless yeah <laughs> Yeah. We're like uh, we're like the currency of a country that doesn't exist anymore. Like, right. Cool to collect and put in a little photo album, but right, you'll never be able to spend it. Yeah. I uh, in the receiving line, we always hang out after the show and like shake hands and take photos with people. And uh, in the receiving line, there was a guy with the uh, embroidered Patagonia fleece of a Netflix employee. <laughs> And he uh, was talking to me about how if you work at Netflix, you can region shift your account. You can say like, no, I'm a French Netflix viewer. And like, and it'll give you. Makes sense. You want to be able to QA all that, right? Right. So he said that he, like he can, he can region shift into the markets where Star Trek Discovery is a Netflix original series. And he says that it is being broadcast in 4k hdr everywhere but the u.s oh, i want that really bad that really frustrates me yeah like the the i mean and like i think maybe this is why we're not getting invited by cbs to come to their big fancy parties is that like we've uh, pretty consistently been down on the way cbs all access works both from like an interface standpoint and also just from like a business standpoint it's it makes me think of like the fast foodification of American culture. Like if you go to if you go to Europe and you watch TV there, there yeah. are far fewer channels there, and the programming is generally uh, better across the board for it. And there's also like commercial breaks in between shows, and instead of in the midst of shows, a yeah. lot of a lot of places. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyways, uh, one thing I will say in favor of CBS All Access, last time I was looking through the movies that they have available, they had So I Married an Axe Murderer, mm. which is great. And uh, Whoa, man. <laughs> <laughs> this poem sucks. We were at a Doughboys live show, and they were speculating on whether beat poetry is still alive and well in San Francisco. Yeah, that's all I could think all of. All I could think about was So I Married an yeah. Axe Murderer. Yeah. Uh, anyways, do you want to get into this episode, Adam? Yeah, I really do. Let's uh, let's turn it on over to Star Trek Discovery, Season Two, Episode One, Brother. The opening monologue—it's a switcheroo. You think it's going to be the thing that uh, Picard says at the beginning of a TNG episode, or that Kirk says at the beginning of a TOS episode? Sure felt like the beginning of a new series. Yeah. You know? It did. It had some stuff that I felt like I am curious to see, like, what they do with it, like, in the long term. Like, that old-timey NASA footage of, like, flybys of Saturn seemed mm -hmm. to be, like, kind of presented as though it's important, but also not directly commented on. So I wondered if they were, like, planting something with that or not. 
the opening credits of Star Trek Enterprise also made use of space footage of a similar nature, and and we know that that had really nothing to do with show either. So they just wanted to establish that there's progress in how good we were at building ships over the course of human history. <laughs> I mean, Burnham kind of pivots into this African myth about the girl that created the universe out of ashy embers. Yeah. It sets the spiritual tone that I think you and I were reflexively uh, hoping wouldn't be totally over, or at least the thing that started season two. Yeah. I think gladly that is not uh, the kind of myth-making that continued for the rest of the episode. Yeah, they don't uh, wallow in it. Um, This episode starts really in earnest, right where season one left off, which is they uh, they've run into the entrepreneur in the middle of space and mm-hmm. the entrepreneur is in a bad way. Yeah. You know, they cut through the bad signal. There's a pretty fun moment where Tilly is like yelling over some, some squabbly audio on the bridge. And then they, uh, <laughs> they, they, they like turn down the volume while she's still yelling. And, uh, like so, if you were having a conversation with someone at a, at a rock concert and the song stopped, yeah. but you were still talking at that volume. It's that effect. It was nice. It was a, it was a really nice way of like really confirming that Tilly is still going to be Tilly. There's a fun kind of like middle-aged dad at cars and coffee meetup <laughs> where there's like a, they're sort of like coveting the entrepreneur as they as they give her a once over. Yeah. Yeah, even Stamets gets in on that, right? Like yeah. like uh, I've seen the seen what's under the hood on that puppy and if yeah. it's uh, if it's dead in space like that's uh that's something that they also <laughs> very like very jackable ship yeah they never really come back to like what caused that or if it has it's they sort of implied very about like its proximity to one of the red beacons is what dropped the banger that destroyed everything except life support on that ship yeah it's like that time that uh the d scanned uh scanned something and it like took over the computer yeah uh and barkley also you know what's weird is that what happened i forget we may be jumping around this episode a little bit but i would think it's useful to bring up at this point is like we find out later that spock took leave to go investigate the red things that may be associated to the nightmares that he has as a child and that have since returned in adult life right like did he take leave before he knew the entrepreneur was going to go investigate one of these? Because, <laughs> yeah. boy, did he choose wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he really did. What a boner move on Spock's heart. He ran up close and personal with one of these things. Yeah. He could have looked at the at the red angel or whatever. Yeah. yeah. We also get some flashbacks of uh, young Mikey Burnham mm-hmm. uh, when she first comes to live at uh, Casa de Sarek. Mm-hmm. And young Spock being kind of weird and closed off in a way that is i think predictable given how different of a of a character he is he's got the uh haircut of a mid-90s jonathan lipnicki <laughs> yeah the only line he has in the whole thing is telling her how how heavy a vulcan head is yeah he's not exactly precocious he's kind of a dick yeah yeah there's a great camera angle where it looks like he's reaching out to shake her hand but he reaches right past it to the handle on the door and slams it in her face (laughs) there's a bunch of emotional currency that michael burnham and sarek trade back and forth at several moments in this episode about how their estrangement from him makes them feel yeah and it seems like they are both deeply estranged from him in different ways and deal with that in different ways. Um, I thought the casting on young Michael Burnham was great. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She's really good. She was, she was good and and a very striking uh, little girl, like really not a dead ringer for Sinequa Martin green, but like a plausible younger Sinequa Martin green, but also can act and like sell this, it's you know nobody's like ugly crying in these in these scenes but the emotional tension is really present when you're hiring a child actor to portray a person on your show i think you have to be willing to make some sacrifices yeah and i don't feel like they sacrificed much in casting this young actor i thought she was really good yeah i was surprised that spock was younger than her yeah 
Or is he? Do Vulcans age at a different in a different way? I don't know. I don't know if we know that. When they're walking down to uh, meet Captain Pike and the uh, detachment that he's going to beam over, uh, Michael Burnham thinks that the science officer he references is going to be Spock. Yeah. So uh, she's walking down down to the transporter room with Saru, and Saru is kind of endocrine shaming her, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, I thought was pretty pretty dickish on Saru's part. He's also walking real weird. He's like waving his hands behind him. Like that swish walk is canonical. Saru has he been doing that? Yeah, he has. Yeah. Um, I liked that's some nice Doug Jonesing right there. I liked, uh, you know, when he talked about, uh, his sister knowing more about what he meant about that than Michael Burnham does because we got to see that short tracks episode. Yeah. Sadly, there is terrain between us we cannot navigate. Uh, Alex Kurtzman directs this episode, and uh, there were a couple of shots slash scenes that I thought were pretty notable. Yeah. Uh, one of them occurs when this crew beams over we get the angle on the ear of the science (laughs) officer and uh it is disappointingly round yeah (laughs) Yeah. as somebody who has uh revealed a body part to someone and seen disappointment wash over their face before i can empathize with what the this this uh science officer is going through in this scene there were a lot of things that i think the Wachowskis changed in terms of shot composition with the Matrix films, yeah. and really their their entire oeuvre. But I think one of the things is a shot like this. I don't think you see a shot like this before the Matrix. I think that's an interesting point, yeah. Um, some really flashy special effects in this episode, and also some just like subtly really cool ones, like the camera that is outside the ship, yeah. finding them in a hallway, walking down toward... Uh, transpo like yeah. uh there when when pike is aboard like they're walking through the hallways and they're kind of doing the same thing to disco that the disco crew did to the enterprise like hey pretty fancy ship you guys have here and there's a shot that's like up through like a glass ceiling in the mm-hmm. hallway that shows like interior structure of the ship that made the ship look huge yeah like much bigger than i've kind of come to understand it to be Whatever imagery you thought you were going to get of the entrepreneur, you don't get. And instead, you get nuts and bolts and how stuff works type type compositions of the discovery. And I thought that was an interesting choice and a good one. Yeah. There's a, uh, a moment of levity when they get on the elevator and a kind of lizard face guy is uh, suffering from a cold. Um, what did you think of this scene? <laughs> I mean, he's a Saurian, as in of the brandy. Oh, is that true? Made me think that uh, maybe he needed a, a nip of that. One of those, <laughs> a nipper of of, the, of his own brandy, maybe would make him feel better. I mean, we talk about this all the time. A like, jipper? A jipper. Yeah, I said nipper, didn't I? Yeah, I mean, a nipper of a jipper? Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, we we talk about it all the time, to what degree Star Trek is good at comedy. Yeah. This I mean, seemed like Star Wars-y kind of comedy, though. Yeah. Like, uh, I was surprised and perplexed by the idea that he could he would reply to them like, bah, 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 and that was like his language that they all understood. Like, that is something that they did in the short treks that I felt was bad and annoying and they're continuing that into canonical show it's one of those scenes that really underscores the whole ship of friends feel that i think pervades the entire episode here and which i don't think was that much of a deal in season one right yeah i mean it was kind of a ship of enemies in season one yeah it's a it's a top-down situation though you know that was all coming from Lorca. um when they get to the bridge, like Pike is basically there to take over the ship because these these red bursts have been detected in space. There's some implication that what knocked Enterprise out had something to do with them, but there are elements of the red burst that like mirror the series of events that kicked off the war with the Klingons. So right. 
there's a lot of skittishness around that and uh like the the parallels are not lost on him nor are the kind of like trust issues that the crew has with captains and he kind of takes on this like ah shucks plain spoken like uh I, i don't know like a guy running for governor like now uh I know that you guys have had a rough time in the past, and <laughs> I'm very conscious of that, so, <laughs> you know. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I kind of feel like Lorca introduced himself like that, too. Like, I'm a different kind of captain. Like, Yeah, I'm, but he'd been working with the disco crew for a long time when Michael met him, so yeah. unclear. I do very much get the sense from Pike that he's uh, a teacher that wants to be your friend instead of a captain who... Call me by my first name. It's not that I want to fear my captains on this show, Yeah, but I do like a little bit of professional detachment, or at least I've come to... yeah. I've come to expect that. Like, the sound off and don't even tell me your rank because I don't give a shit on the bridge was... Also a scene that made me think that Arium is going to be more of a a central character mm-hmm. or move toward the center anyways. Yeah. Because she's the one standout that says Lieutenant Commander Arium. Yeah. When, uh, when she's replying. Did you notice they recast her? No. Yeah. They took the actor out of that character and made her a human actor who's later who's depicted later on in the uh, in the shuttle bay when they pull the oh, no asteroid kidding. fragment in there and they have a new actor playing wow Arium now that's interesting yeah i wonder maybe that's how you get promoted on the show as an actor like you do your season in in the cowl and then uh yeah but i also wonder if it's a like lieutenant j thing like they just like ha- like she's in some kind of like subcast that can be kind of yeah used modularly but if Ariam is going to start getting lines they like give the part to somebody else yeah um yeah i mean looking at her now in retrospect she does that's a different person <laughs> i didn't even notice cuz there's so much loaf i mean getting back to pike is he a captain that's going to like eat in the commissary with the crew like is he gonna be like that kind of guy <laughs> is he gonna fucking play poker with them i want a little bit of professional detachment i think yeah i don't know i, I mean it's very early to speculate but he is he is that guying it a little bit why the joint custody situation <laughs> that's a good question he's a captain saru is a commander doesn't make sense to me not at all and like i i can respect the idea of it being painful when you're a captain i think i think you understand how seriously you take the gift of being given command of a ship and how painful it might be for that to be taken from you and so i respected his willingness to do that in person yeah but this also speaks to how uh how we don't fear pike as a professional in any way because he shows such deference to saru and his feelings that it doesn't seem something that's befitting of a commanding officer yeah yeah like so many you know when ronnie cox comes aboard it's like here is what we're doing and i don't give a shit how you feel about it because it's what we're doing i mean the consequence of that is that everyone understands the same thing. Like, everyone understands the rules of that game, and right. everyone acts in accordance with that. I get the sense that with a personality like Pike, there could be a situation where there might be a lot of confusion about a circumstance that requires a lot of uh, efficiency right. in order to survive, for example. And if everyone is chiming in with their quip, <laughs> that could be a problem. Yeah, like the way he invokes authority is really different from any captain we've seen. Right. I mean, There's it a great could example. be something that ends up burning him at some point. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> One thing I noticed was that Wilson Cruz is name-checked in the opening credits, and um, that's Dr. Culber. Mm-hmm. So uh, he is not just going to be somebody that Stamets is watching old YouTube videos about in uh, in the show. I think he's in the show. 
also stamets like you're at work man i know you're short timing it before uh your transfer <laughs> yeah but like give me a break you can't just stand at your station looking at videos i mean in his defense michael burnham is like flashing back to her childhood and not paying attention to the emergency situation on the bridge a couple of times in this episode so it's just kind of like what people do on the disco Wilson Cruz's performance in this scene feels so real yeah. and so intimate that uh, it felt like an invasion of privacy to watch it. I feel like that very rarely when I watch a TV show, but it felt like I was seeing something I shouldn't see. And it made me wonder like how that device works, because he's yeah. standing in like a public space, and from his perspective, it looks like he's kind of like in a bubble of video. Yeah. But then, like, when Tilly interrupts him, it, like, all kind of cascades away. But, like, yeah. is it projected in the... It's also really weird because he's, like, looking at a projection of Hugh Culber in a room. But then that entire thing is a projection. It's like yeah. a projection within a projection. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's very confusing. Very complicated idea. And I'm not really sure why they would do it that way. But <laughs> Stamets wants to transfer because... Uh, I mean, he's surrounded by the memories of of Culber, and he can't live in a place that is that, like, he's on a grief ship. Yep. Like, the entire thing reminds him of something that he's lost, and he can't deal yeah, healthily. I, I have a, a dear friend whose partner uh, passed away, and she had to leave the city that they were, yeah. that they lived in, because it just every part of the city felt painful to her. And yeah. I think this is a real thing. And Tilly is really trying to make the case that like the people that are closest to him are here and want to help him. Yeah. And, uh, he is in a, a phase of the grieving process where that doesn't really feel like a comfort to him. Yeah. And it's, it's clear that he's in quite a bit of pain at the beginning of this episode. How much am I supposed to take? So Pike's mission is to take the disco to explore one of the remaining red energy beacons. Right. They've got a fix on one. So they head out there and uh, they're like warp five in it. They're not using the the mycelial drive. That's off the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And they get there and like they drop out a warp and it's just a fucking maelstrom of rocks. It's a real mess out there. It's something that seems to happen on this show. I know. Like, they hit the brakes too late. Yeah. And they're just in it. Yeah. Uh, it makes it seem really dangerous to, like, be at warp if you don't know that there's a maelstrom of rocks when you come out of warp. Um, they start scanning these asteroids. And I mean, they, it's Detmer's fault, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she took she took fly good and was, like, not quite sure what that yeah. meant. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pike kind of Matthew Perry's his lines in this show, right? A little like, bit. Could he be any more authoritative? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they scan the uh, the big asteroid and they find the USS Hiawatha, a medical frigate, has made a an unfortunate crash landing on the surface, and they're kind of like he's like, "All right, we got to get down there and save everybody." And they're like, well, it's been crashed for at least 10 months. And also, this is going to be super dangerous. This is like uh, that part of uh, Armageddon where Steve Buscemi goes, all you have to say is most terrifying environment imaginable. I think this is my favorite scene of the show because the thing that Pike has invited with his familiarity right away is everyone feels emboldened to correct an action they see as being a mistake. You see this as being a flaw in his leadership style because even the people he brought with him from the entrepreneur kind of kind of like no but captain him. Yeah. And that is something that a lot of other captains we've seen don't deal with. He's not talked out of the idea of a landing party and we get a pretty cool walk to the cargo bay. Uh, it's sort of a the tight stuff <laughs> <laughs> kind of walk because there's a costume change here. Yeah. And they help put on uh, shiny uh, scuba suits. Yeah. It kind of looks like they might be all sequined in such a way that you could like rub a hand over them oh, and yeah. they change colors. <laughs> the most recent season of uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills on the reunion, for some reason, they all show up wearing sequins. <laughs> and Lisa Vanderpump does that to her sequins, but she just 
flips them up on her boobs and then flips a couple down to make nipples. That's fun. <laughs> so she, she's like taunting Andy Cohen with her her sequin boobs. It's fucking great. <laughs> We get to know uh, just a little bit more about uh, the people that Pike has brought on board. Uh, one of them is is Nan, who we know very little by the end of the episode. The other guy, uh, the science officer Connolly, is int- introduced pretty right away as the dick of the of the team. Yeah, like you already kind of hate him when he gets sneezed on like you don't really mind that he gets sneezed on and nobody like apologizes yeah. or anything you're like yeah fuck that guy yeah there's definitely like some winking at the camera like calling out that uh that non is wearing a red shirt like mm-hmm. they like look directly into the camera and go look she's wearing a red shirt red shirt but then Connolly is the one that buys it in this yeah. dangerous uh, descent onto the asteroid that very much mimics Michael Burnham's trip to the the beacon in really does. episode one of season one. Yeah. Um, There's a pretty exciting scene after Connolly dies. Connolly's pod sprays shrapnel everywhere, and one of the places where that goes is Pike's pod. Yeah. And uh, he can't get his helmet down. Uh, his ship's kind of breaking apart, and there's a really exciting rescue scene where... Uh, the discovery is made to remote eject Pike. And there's a, a re- like one of the things that I really liked about it was the idea of free fall in a space environment. Yeah. Like, because it's really like directional, like, yeah. the, like free fall as a concept is totally different in this environment. Well, yeah. Like when you're weightless, like they call that free fall yeah. and uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun scene. It's a very like long white knuckle action scene, and it's it fair. It felt a lot like J.J. Uh, Abrams' first Star Trek film, like with that, that yeah. parachute down to to the mining weapon. Yeah, which uh, I know that people dunk on, but I kind of like that sequence. Mm-hmm. When they get to the surface, uh, they approach the crashed Hiawatha, and it's a creepy haunted house of like warped computer yeah. voice and emergency klaxon and i'm starting to think that the star trek cave set like the the equivalent of the star trek caves which was just a standing set of caves that they used over and over again in tng and deep space nine the equivalent of that in disco is the like garbage heap of space yeah (laughs) like they've had so many environments like this where it's like kind of like indoor outdoor yeah like heaps of shredded technology everywhere And, uh, you know, it's just like an opportunity to have like puffs of smoke and sparks raining from the ceiling. And they really give this scene a lot of mise-en-scene. Like there's a ton of stuff going on here. We meet a new character. She's uh, Commander Jet Reno, played by Tignataro. And she has, through force of will, turned the objects of her ship into things that can help her and the surviving crew people uh, maintain. And they've been stranded on this rock for 10 months. Her kind of like punchy, I've been isolated and now I'm talking to people for the first time in 10 months, but I'm like impatient and fed up with them vibe really reminded me of Scotty in the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. I'm willing to be convinced of that, but I, there was something about her character that didn't make sense to me, which is like, she had sort of a... Like, she had that quippy, sarcastic attitude, Uh but her delivery was so flat that I wanted to know if that was a byproduct of, like, of the trauma of her circumstances. Yeah. It's like real mad science, like, like these bodies are being, like, kept alive just barely. But it made me not trust her. Like, I felt like there was something else going on. Like, for example, there's a, there's like the laser security system that she set up on this thing. Like, yeah. we don't see any other life on this asteroid. Why was she so paranoid about... Uh, I mean, was it, was it for Klingons, I guess? Maybe. I mean, she's definitely, like, unaware that the war is over, given her circumstance. But she's also... Like a little cagey and weird when they're like, what about those uh, red bursts? Did you like, what was the signal? You know, like we're here looking for a signal and she's, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about, about anything. Even when it comes time to escape and it's clear that like they're on a clock here. Yeah. She's never 
doing any more than walking from place to place. Yeah. I would have expected a sense of like her, her, a greater sense of desire for her to leave. Yeah. Um, that said, like her performance is very compelling and I, it seems like it's weird intentionally. I hope it's weird intentionally because the thought that I had in seeing her was that uh, Tig is a better comic than an actor. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll uh, we'll find out. And uh, I don't mean that to be disparaging on about either part of her. Like I like her quite a bit. Yeah. But um, I hope that's that's a thing that they're doing for yeah. a reason. So um, not satisfied with the like incredibly high stakes. Uh, will they or won't they make it? aspects of the descent scene uh we get another one of those with beaming all of these uh semi like all the all of these bodies that are i guess in comas or whatever up to the disco and uh the idea is that they're like tying the two transporter rooms together which makes it a more reliable thing there was some like interference that prevented them from beaming down uh and it's like uh, like they have to unplug the door to plug <laughs> the transporter, which is a little corny, but like every time, you know, every time they get something going, the door slams shut and, uh, the transporter goes before Michael Burnham can be on it. Cause right. she's like holding it together with her bare hands. And, um, and she has to make the classic action movie run down the tunnel as the explosion is thundering behind you, uh, escape. And uh, this was pretty fun. Uh, she like while she's in the biohazard tunnel, she heals helmet, and her helmet like magically mm-hmm. uh, forms around her head the way it did when they did the escape. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it made me think it would be really fun to prank people in spacesuits by just like walking by them, going helmet. <laughs> like, God damn it! <laughs> she gets injured in a way you rarely see in Star Trek. Uh, she gets some shrapnel in her leg and that is a glowing hot piece of shrapnel she it's too hot to take out primally screams yeah. in a way that you rarely get on the show or in movies yeah she uh she lets the dead know a warrior is coming she is in so much pain that it appears as though she's uh she's having a vision and that vision is of one of these red angels yeah we've seen this in the trailer this image this is the one that they used in the trailer i believe and um you know this blurry shape of a humanoid with kind of the individual uh, splines of wings Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it resolves and it's actually Captain Pike who I wasn't clear if he like jumped off the transporter pad or maybe beamed back down. I mean, he must've jumped off the transporter pad, right? Yeah. Cause they show him like lurching toward her when, when the door slams, but yeah, he he picks her up and they, uh, they get her back onto the ship. Everybody's safe. Uh, Tilly had asked, Burnham to bring back a piece of this rock so that they could study it. There are some qualities about it that are interesting to a scientist like Tilly. Yeah. And, and as she's being beamed away, the rock sort of falls out of her hand. Like yeah. there's not, they're unable to get a, a lock on it, which that is a really good scene. effect. I thought yeah, look good. I mean, it, it, I, I buy that they figured out a way to like hold a rock up there. It is such a, uh, like, <laughs> It's a little, it, the more you scrutinize this moment, the more it doesn't make a ton of sense. Like the attempt to bring back a baseball size <laughs> piece of rock is replaced <laughs> by the setting up of a gravity simulator in the cargo bay and their brake checking of an asteroid into that bay. That gravity sim, just deploying the gravity simulator is like one of the dumbest. It's like it will go down as as dumb as dry- describing a Starfleet logo in the sand in the pilot. Have you seen what it looks like when the uh, inflatable slide on a commercial airplane inflates? Yeah, it's it's that dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like- actually really scary. And they're like, everybody clear. You know, it's a thing. The size of like two large pieces of checked luggage, and then it's suddenly the size of like a Volkswagen. It's something, and it that looks if like you were he- next to it, you wouldn't be able to avoid. And it looks like it's like heavy, dense metal. Yeah. So it's just like physically impossible. Okay. <laughs> and it's like I don't know why they need that stuff. 
you know I, it's one of those things that uh that looked cooler than is a logical thing to do right and i think that that's like maybe one big weakness of this uh edition of the franchise is that they have succumb to those temptations the things that are available to them because of cg yeah that you know like when you just show a shot from outside the ship of people walking down a hallway it's a use of that technology that's impressive and Mm -hmm. like makes the space feel real and cool and like uh, yeah how about seeing how a turbo lift works yeah it gives (laughs) you a sense of the scale of these things and their inner workings and then you do a thing like that which is just the like dumb version of using that technology and it kind of like breaks the spell because it's like that's distracting and bad yeah but yeah they catch this uh this asteroid and catching the asteroid uh seems to have kind of piqued stamets's interest because all of the mycelial spores that they still are growing on the ship got very excited in some way when uh when they came in proximity of this of this material so uh they're gonna explore this this matter uh it's being described as non-baryonic matter mm-hmm. and uh and maybe like solid dark matter or something like that so uh that should be interesting yeah it's like what was there when they got there but not what they were expecting cuz right. it doesn't seem to be anything to do with the with the energy burst yeah and uh and the energy like the energy burst they are concerned might be like a warning or something like that. They don't really know what it is, but... They don't have a good track record with these things. Yeah. We get a brief scene where uh, Pike has a stated interest in an ongoing conflict with Saru, <laughs> where he basically tells Michael Burnham, like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to trade the ship back and forth based on mission. Like, what the fuck, Pike? Like, yeah. Just be the captain. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm sure everyone expects it. Yeah. It'd be like, what would happen if I was the captain of a ship? I would be like constantly like, I mean, I think what we should do is this, but um, I don't want to like force anybody to do anything that they don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot is made about the ship's trajectory and the distances it travels, but uh, it comes back to one at the end of the episode. It returns to the entrepreneur, yeah. which is being in the process of being towed. Right back to Federation space. And as they're in proximity, Michael Burnham's like, you know, I'd actually like really like to go visit my brother. And it's at this point where Pike says, I mean, you can go over there, but he's not there. Yeah. But she does apparently get to go into his room and like, look at his shit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she finds that she finds in his computer, like a recorded message that seems to kind of exculpate some of his bad behavior as a kid yeah and um make uh, it more understandable like he had nightmares and like uh drew scary monsters to kind of like you know to define them as something that's inside of his imagination and not something that's outside of himself that he needs to be existentially terrified of but also uh there's like an encoded message and it turns out that he had uh, data on these red beacons mm-hmm. uh, well ahead of everybody else. And it appears that he's like take, taken all the uh, the leave that he's built up over the years to, to go explore this. Yeah, he's the guy that worked holidays while everyone else was gone. Yeah. And then before you know it, like he's the guy that, that puts in for like six months of vacation and surprises everyone. He had months and months accumulated. Yeah, that's the button on the episode. I mean, the nightmares have returned. Spock is nowhere to be seen. Uh, Michael Burnham appears a little bit horrified at what she's found in those quarters. Indeed, Adam. Did you like the episode? I'm, as ever, happy and grateful that there is new Star Trek to watch and talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, With this episode specifically, the things that weren't for me are just uh, my need for an authority figure captain or what (laughs) what I've become used to like in my consumption of Star Trek. I think Anton Mount is good and fun. Yeah. Uh, His choices as an actor are interesting and different. What does Uh, he say? Hit it instead of engage? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He's very conscious of being compared to Lorca in a way that, uh, maybe I don't quite understand. I, to me, 
I, instead of so much Lorca talk, I kind of wondered if the reason Connolly was such a dick to Burnham was because of the anti-Burnham Federation vibe that R- right. must still be going around. But they, there are a couple of things continuity-wise that are just forgotten or or uninterrogated here. One of them is what clearly should be a remaining Michael anti-Michael Burnham vibe among those in the Federation, especially those who did not witness her heroism. Who haven't gone through the catharsis that a Saru has. Yeah. Uh, the other part was like, uh, Sarek's, I guess, totally healthy after having a bomb exploded next to him. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's for a, for a show that is so willing to... Uh, to remember so much of itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting the choices they make about what they choose to forget. Yeah, uh, It's still too early to feel like this is a great start to a season or not, but I will say I think I like the episode. Uh, I liked it too. I think that I'm curious about Pike. I think that it's interesting to see the, the kind of avuncular captaining style have negative consequences. You know, like that scene where they're like descending down toward the asteroid, Pike is telling Connolly, like, do what Michael Burnham says. And Connolly's like, no, fuck you. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, I kind of think that Christopher Pike cost that guy his life in a weird way by just establishing like everything is open to criticism and reevaluation by everyone. That's an order should be the final word, you know? Killing Connolly was too easy. Like that's those are easy points to score by setting him up as a toxic person to work with who's condescending towards a female coworker. Like that's, yeah, it's it, it feels like a very calories. Yeah. You know? A very unstar Trek kind of character. And I guess what I'm curious to see is, is this a, a season that is to some extent about Pike learning how to be a good captain? Cause right now he doesn't seem like he is. Yeah. I don't know how a non good captain gets, the chair on the entrepreneur though maybe we'll find out yeah i mean i think that i'm really like medium about this episode in a way that i'm surprised by Mm. um and i think that a lot of it is like the kind of fucking gravity simulator really bugged me yeah um there was some stuff i really liked like commander reno's drones that she has that she's built and like they're impressive and kind of original uh, construction that everybody comments on. Like, I like the idea that that could be like a, a tool that gets mm-hmm. used in, in future episodes. Um, yeah. I'm hoping she's like a, a main cast character because another thing is like, it doesn't seem like disco has a chief engineer really. All right, right. So if she becomes that, that's cool. Um, it's neat to think of an eccentric tinkerer on this show as a main character. I would be into that. Yeah. So I, it has not dashed my hopes by any means, but I didn't think it was like a flawless re-entry into the universe. Yeah. What do you say we flawlessly re-enter the Priority One message inbox, Ben? I would love to do that. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Well, no Priority One messages on this episode, Adam, but if folks want to leave one, they can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where a personal message is 100 bucks and a commercial message is 200 bucks, and uh, they are a great way to support the production of The Greatest Discovery. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. 
Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I guess I'm going to have to give it to Linus. I think his name was the, the Saurian. The Saurian, man. Because uh, it's so easy. Like, he, like he turns his face and sneezes on Connolly, which is absurd. But I guess, you know, it could be excused, <laughs> theoretically. But he doesn't apologize. And nobody expects him to in a way that I was like, what is this supposed to mean to us? Why is it here? Yeah. It was a very ridiculous and silly moment. So uh, that's that's why he gets it. How about you? There were moments of levity that I thought were there just to serve themselves, like that scene in the turbo lift. But then there were others that I thought were grounded in, like, in characters' interactions that, I, that felt natural and good. Yeah. I think one of those moments was uh, when... Discovery is trying to remote eject Pike and Burnham is in communication with Awasakun and Detmer. Yeah. <laughs> and you cut, there's some cross cutting back and forth. And uh, there's a moment that I really liked between them uh, where Awasakun and Detmer uh, are saying something, but acting totally, <laughs> yeah, totally different about their level of confidence and their abilities. You can see them both gulp. <laughs> When she's like, you got him, ladies, right? We got very little Detmer in season one. And uh, what we did get was a Detmer that was unkind to the idea of Burnham being on the crew. Yeah. Who really held a grudge. I mean, yeah. I mean, her grudge is all over her face, all over half of her face. Yeah. I hope we get more of her. But I do get a very uh, Nana Visitor vibe from her, like an wow. intensity in her performance that I really enjoy and I hope we get to know her a little better as we go because I think uh, I think the person who acts as that character uh, Emily Coots is great yeah I really hope that they take an opportunity to introduce more of the bridge crew yeah. to us in this because they really never gave us much of them yeah. in the last season well we get a little bit of a glimpse into what's coming up next week 
so well, yeah it's like what's coming up all season i believe yeah. the like this season on star trek discovery is the is the title card and it does look like there's going to be some spore drive usage they show somebody slamming spore doing spore rails yeah <laughs> we get to see um spock you know doing some karate on some people mm-hmm. which is fun yeah um we get some uh some emperor Georgiou, yeah uh, in her new job as a as a dirty tricks spy mm-hmm. and uh that's pretty fun yeah we get some uh laurel with hair uh, I was I, I I thought it was worth noting that there's no Jet Reno and there's no um, Wilson Cruz uh, or there's there's no uh, Doctor Culber in this in this sequence. So I wonder if that's either because they have big reveals with those characters or because they're not actually going to be like hmm. that critical to the storyline. I mean, we have a we have a large cast now. And an hour per show. Uh, we're in the middle of Deep Space Nine right now on The Greatest Generation, and there are many episodes that go by where we don't see uh, some of the periphery characters. I think that's sort of the treatment that we've come to expect from a Star Trek show. Yeah, you'll just with go an ensemble cast. You'll go an entire episode, and you won't even know if Morn was at the bar that week. I think we have our suspicions. <laughs> uh, well, Adam, I think uh, this is one for the books. Um, great episode of of the greatest discovery if not necessarily a great episode of star trek discovery uh but i'm really looking forward to this season i'm uh, i think that uh we've got a lot of potential here yeah you me both uh one person is who has fully realized his potential is one rob schulte he's yeah. the producer of the show and we'll hand the reins over to him we sure will The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Branica and Ben Harrison. It's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music and interstitials are done by Adam Ragusia. To support the show, head on over to MaximumFun.org donate or leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can reach Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Make sure to use the hashtag GreatestGen or GreatestDiscovery when you're tweeting about the show. Thanks. We'll see you next week. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.